Welcome to the Daniel McInnes Podcast, a podcast for small businesses who are seeking great practical advice about marketing and sales. Danielle thinks like a customer. Even as a little kid, she always has shown deep empathy for others. Dan uses this customer insight to help small businesses create practical marketing strategies that work. Using this customer-centric approach and her 20 years' experience in sales and marketing, Dan takes what is in your head, adds her expertise to create a system to assist you make better marketing decisions, attracts a regular stream of ideal customers, and creates a brand that your employees and customers will love. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, thanks, Chris. I've got Chris Risden here who is what I would call a bit of a thought leader in um, service design. So thanks for joining me, Chris. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So, Chris, can you sort of um, connect the dots for us in terms of your journey with sort of what you're doing now and, and service design and your background? Absolutely. Um, I'm a design director at Adaptive Path, and Adaptive Path is ostensibly a user experience design consultancy. And I've been here two years, and I've thought of myself for the past 10 to 12 years that I've been doing something that looks something like this. For um, I've, I've always, often thought of myself as a digital product designer and or someone who designs digital products or services. And in the past say three or four years, I started to realize that a lot of the things that I did weren't really um, defined as products. They were often defined more like services. And they also weren't necessarily confined to thinking of it as a single digital experience. They're confined more or they're all of a sudden starting to look at things that were very much holistic systems, service-oriented things that weren't uh, necessarily digital in and of themselves. They might have a digital component. And so... I started coming into thinking about applying service design methodologies uh, basically as a a means of meeting that need that I had, even as a digital product designer uh, who was used to designing software interfaces and websites or web applications, and now we're doing things that were much more uh, systems-oriented and service-oriented and not necessarily confined to digital. I needed to start incorporating uh, methodologies that helped me with that. And Experience mapping, which is kind of interchangeable with, with customer journey mapping, uh, was one of those methodologies. And uh, I found it very useful, but I also thought there was a, a real dearth in, in understanding how it should be used, what are the best ways to go about doing it, and, um, and, what are the, and how do you make use of it? How do you use it as a catalyst? And so that was kind of how I started to connect the dots uh, in my career as kind of an interaction designer who was doing those service design-oriented uh, projects. So can you tell us a bit about how you use that mapping, say, in an example, so how you would use it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I start by by having a very loose definition of, of what would constitute a service, and I think, or or maybe even just a cross-channel experience, because I don't necessarily think every single um, context that you are designing services or, or digital products is is necessarily a candidate for using experience mapping. And um, the the popular example that I've used mostly because uh, the client has been very generous in allowing us to kind of share the experience of working with them is a company called Rail Europe. 
And Rail Europe, um, they have multiple presence. They have an international presence, but the particular division we worked with is a company uh, that uh, services North American customers, and, and including uh, Mexico, uh, the U.S., and Canada, and helps them purchase uh, tickets uh, for their travel in Europe. Uh, so normally, if you're a North American traveler, um, and, and frankly aren't very used to traveling by train anyway, if you wanted to travel in Europe, you have to go to different uh, um, regional or country rail lines and figure out the difference between commuter tra- trains and high-speed uh, regional trains and deal with different languages and different currencies. So they act as a, as a kind of a, a, a travel ag- aggregator for ticketing for, for European um, rail lines. And they had done a, a really good job of creating a website that was tra- transactionally really good. It allowed people to find a lot of in- information about the trains and the routes and purchase their tickets and find out what, what that and how to get those tickets. And they had a good mobile app. Matter of fact, Adaptopath helped them design their mobile app, so I would like to think that it's good. Um, but they have, a, they have a good mobile app as well um, that helped them as well. And they actually had an award-winning um, call center, customer service center, which uh, was really good because they, were, they weren't just uh, an outsourced call center that, that was scripted. They were really well-trained in understanding European rail travel, how to navigate the, the platforms and the train stations, how to uh, understand the schedules and all this stuff. So they were very helpful. But they had sort of done these things in a very piecemeal way uh, where they were all good, but they were all sort of doing their own thing, all these different parts, the web, the mobile part, and the tablet part, and, and the phone part. And so they came to us asking to, for help about, like, we want to make this feel like a, a more um, seamless service, like a, a whole service and not different pieces. And the way we want to do that is by understanding, have a deeper understanding of the, the entire journey from the time they want to research and think about their travel to the point that they've returned from their trip and then find out how rail Europe is actually relevant in the different parts of that journey and so one of the things we did and we did a few things but one of the things we did was create that experience map where we uh, did qualitative research with uh, some of their recent customers and we did some quantitative research where we did a survey um, and use that insight to kind of construct an archetype journey so in many ways if anyone is familiar with personas, which are a, a tool that they are used in user experience and sometimes in marketing to un- as as these archetypes of a type of customer type, uh, the experience map is kind of the persona put to action, put to time and place. Uh, so we understood what's the persona doing and um, at different stages of the journey. So in this particular example for Rail Europe, we knew there were sort of these six stages of 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 the journey. One was um, researching the trip. Uh, another one was uh, doing the actual shopping of you know, creating your itinerary and, and understanding what you were going to do. Uh, the third was the transactional part of purchasing the tickets. And the fourth is actually uh, the fulfillment of the tickets because you might get them as an e-ticket. You might get them as a, a mailed hard copy ticket. And then sometimes you got them on the train station at a kiosk. And then there's the actual travel and then there's the post-travel. So we use that stage as sort of a framework to, to, in which to start to construct kind of that archetype journey, that persona put to action. Um, and we kind of wanted to know, we, we wanted to know like three things within those stages. What were customers uh, doing, thinking, and feeling? And the doing is obviously their behaviors. What, is, what are the actual things that they were doing at any given point in time? 
the thinking is kind of their mental model. Like, what are their expectations uh, and assumptions? What do they think is supposed to be happening? And how well is that actually being followed through on? And then the feeling are the emotions that they're having, like the, the kind of things of, of, uh, of their core motivations of like, why am I doing this? And what am, how am I responding to this? <coughs> Excuse me. And so that's kind of an example where we started to do that so that they, as an organization, could have this sort of shared reference, mobile, marketing, product managers for the web, uh, the phone center, uh, various executives could now have this like, okay, we've all kind of been, been in our own silos of understanding what the mobile experience should look like or understanding what the call center experience should look like. But now we're having kind of an outside in view of what the journey looks like. And then our next step would be then how, how when we see gaps and opportunities and themes within that, that journey, how are we able to now kind of in a unified way take it that outside in approach to supporting what we know would be a good journey, addressing opportunities, addressing gaps or, or pain points uh, so that we, we can do that and kind of lower our silos a little bit because a lot of those times – Something might need to work in concert, like the mobile and the phone channel, because somebody might be actually be referencing something on the web or the mobile while they're on the phone instead of thinking about it individually. So that's kind of an example of, of an activity we did with Rail Europe where we helped them understand that journey. Mm. So within a company, <coughs> who mm-hmm. champions this sort of thought that, you know, well, we need to get on the same page here? That that varies a lot, and I, I've kind of seen two trends. I mean, they've, they've, they've been distinctly bottom-up trends and distinctly top-down trends. And you can use these. There's, there's typically three ways that you use this activity in the, in the artifact that comes, comes out of it. And one would be organizationally. So if we can get on the same page, we can lower our styles a little bit. We can understand where we marshal our resources. What are the types of things we need to hire for? How do we need to organize our company a little better now that we have this sort of North Star experience that we want to support? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second area is, is strategically, which is sort of like a, for a product manager, Now that you see what you need to do or you see like there's those pain points and those opportunities and kind of know the nature of how you can support them, you can start to prioritize and go through all the types of things like some type of force ranking or something that where you can now kind of in a sense create a roadmap. Mm -hmm. A roadmap is is one of the sort of follow on activities we often do from a a customer journey map or an experience map because we'll we'll have those pain points, we'll have those opportunities, we'll, we'll see those things we want to address. Now we can start to prioritize them and essentially create a roadmap of how we want to evolve that journey so that we're, we're making it a better experience. And then the, the third way is tactically, which is much more like create, understanding, pulling out a touch point from that journey. So we understand the touch points are, are the different connections where, where a customer interacts with the company. And now you, with the journey map, you have some insight at a particular touch point of whether that's working well, whether it's not working well, whether there's a missed opportunity or whether it's a real pain point. So you pull that touch point out, which becomes sort of the, the user story, the thing you want to design to support. In a way, that's the thing that you say, okay, we want to support the transactional part right here. We want to support the ability to uh, get a refund. I mean, that's a touch point is, a, is that I need to get a refund with a company. Imagine a, a big box retailer where they sell lots of products. What is the experience when you need to return a product? Is it a really awful thing that will leave a bad impression about the company? Or do you make that experience in a way where you come away pleased and sort of evangelizing that experience? So that product return is the touch point that you think about pulling out of the journey and wanting to design for. And so tactically, when you pull that out, you can do that and think about what you want to design for. But you have a lot more 
contextual information now. You have, kind of know what the pe- person is feeling, thinking, and doing. And you also sort of have that DNA of the whole journey in it as well. So organizationally, uh, for your you know, understanding how it affects your organization, strategically understanding how you can now plan to support a, a, the improved experience uh, over six months, 12 months, two years, whatever it is. Um, and then tactically taking out those touch points. And, use, and one output is often design principles. Like what do we now know that can influence the future design? Um, and I think those ways are the ways that you can kind of start to see um, the experience map put into action. So one of the things I've sort of been hearing um, is that, you know, there seems to be a commoditization of different companies in terms of they all sort of look the same. And I'm wondering whether that's giving rise to these experience maps or journeys and things um, to to sort of take that outside-in approach. And I'm just wondering how that sits also with the companies going through this North Star experience, as you sort of explain that, you know, who are we and what do we actually stand for? You know, how yeah. do we do what we do? And what I'm seeing at the moment is both of those things are getting more visibility. I just wonder mm-hmm. what your take on on that in terms of, yes, okay, we need to have a customer um, viewpoint, but also who are we and how do we differentiate ourselves as the how we do something? I think it's a really good point, and, uh, and we've seen that used. And it relates to your previous question, which I kind of got sidetracked in, in, in explaining the ways it's used. So, so when we see a top-down approach, that usually means at some executive level, we're, they're understanding that I need to create a, a sort of more cohesive relationship across my different silos or business groups. Um, and then the bottom-up approach is usually there's people who are the boots on the ground, like product managers and project managers who are realizing we're working kind of in a broke system and I need to kind of evangelize creating something like this to help unify us. Um, but from a that kind of unique um, uh, value proposition standpoint and understanding how to use this in, in a way to avoid com- uh, commoditization. I, I tend to try to break experience maps out into to three parts. And one part is what I call the lens. And the middle part is the, the actual sort of model of the journey, the thing that if you look at a journey map has kind of the lines and the squiggles and, and, and that bit. And then the last part are sort of the takeaways. And so the, the two parts that, that kind of sandwich that model, the lens, is I think very important because it helps you look through that lens at what your experience should be that will be unique to your company. And what I mean that is, is the lens can be a number of things. Sometimes it could be your persona on which that this journey represents. But a lot of times I use a value proposition or a set of like experience principles or the kind of the mission or the pillars that um, are defined are meant to define the company. So usually a company has in its mind how it thinks it's differentiated, and ideally they give some time to understand like what is our unique value proposition um, that we have out to the world that we want to follow through. As we know, a brand is a certain type of promise, right? Of, of, of setting that expectation that we're we're it, it, we're setting an expectation of what kind of experience you can you would have if you engaged with us as a, as a company. And so when you're uh, you're looking at an experience map. You're trying to model whether or not you're delivering upon that promise and you're delivering upon that mission statement, those set of guiding principles, that value proposition. When you have a a persona, usually you have those key takeaways or those key quotes that are essentially representing how you can meet their needs. Like, oh, I'm worried about this. And so then you're, you're hopefully your company is a solution to that problem. So even a persona is a representation of the values or that distinct differentiator that you hope your company stands for. So you can't necessarily take a company that 
believes it's a commodity or doesn't care that it's a commodity and doesn't necessarily think of in you know uh, spend the time to really understand what their unique positioning is or their unique value proposition. But if a company does care about that and they do that, then then um, you you have that lens, which is the means at which you look at that journey, and that could be that unique value proposition. And then you can measure the journey against that. And you can say, like, are we fulfilling that? You know, we might be fulfilling it when they actually use the product, but when they call customer support, they're having this awful experience, and that's degrading that unique value proposition for us. Um, the other part of that sandwich was the takeaways, and I, I often call that the moral of the story. So people are looking at this journey, and hopefully it'll be really insightful, but you kind of want to help them pull out, like, what are the takeaways we should be learning when you're looking at this journey? What is the moral of the story? And that could be a number of things, too. So I, that's why I keep them kind of ab, uh, a certain level of abstraction by calling them the lens and the takeaways, because I don't want to say be overly prescriptive of what they should be. So it's the takeaways that lens is that sort of guiding thing that will help you uh, measure what you're looking at when you look at a journey and whether something is living up to, to, to some set of principles or value proposition. And the takeaway is like, what are we understanding here? We're understanding here that we need to do more of this, or we're understanding that there's an opportunity to do this that we're not doing. And I think those things help people uh, basically use this in a way to measure whether they're succeeding on that differentiator or that unique value proposition. Yeah, I think that's true. It sort of almost gives them a bit of a benchmark to start against. I, I guess what I'm finding is I'm finding more clients moving into, yes, we want to know who we are and what we stand for. And yeah. they have some idea around, the, um, I guess, their mission and the values that they want to portray or the behaviors. Yeah. But they have no real way of acting them out. So, yeah. so if they put them on their website, yes, you know, we're trustworthy or blah, blah, blah. But they haven't actually internalized what that activity or proof is. And I think yeah. that's the disconnect. And I think that's what the experience mapping also provides. Um, and, uh, and the way uh, you've explained it, that sort of seems to relate. Yeah, I actually, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think, um, and one of the reasons why if you've, if, if someone ever hears me talk about this a lot or write about this a lot, you, you, you see that I often use the kind of the gerund form of it. I use, say, mapping the experience or experience mapping because uh, the last thing you ever want to do in, in this uh, is try to find some consultant or some designer and say, hey, do a little bit of discovery and then go create this customer journey map or this experience map and then all you, you have is an artifact. It's meant to be a very involved um, and participatory activity or process that, that has representation of the different parts of the company. So for example, in that Rail Europe example, uh, we had marketing involved, we had product managers involved, we had customer service, like uh, the phone center involved. Um, and we were literally doing kind of our creative thing with post-it, we were constructing our map. We we created a wall with butcher paper and we, we set up the stages and we kind of identified the channels and we created that map um, together over the course of a few days um, and, and we got feedback on it and we moved things around and it really did help um, when they saw opportunities evolve on the map like things that they weren't addressing or things that they hadn't really realized from that sort of empath empathetic view of the customer they started to reshape what their value proposition was. And so using the Rail Europe example, they kind of felt that their mission, their value proposition was to uh, sell the romance of Europe by rail. 
like convince people that this is a great way to travel. And we realized through creating the experience map that that wasn't actually it. It was about the convenience of, the, of, of being able to have one stop in order to plan your whole European trip. Everyone already knew they wanted to travel by rail, but it wasn't without them. It was really hard. I had to go to three or four different places and create this really piecemeal itinerary that I had to string together. So this one stop that represented over 35 rail lines and over uh, a couple hundred European cities and all that. That was their value proposition, and that was something they were able to then socialize without throughout the organization. It wasn't just about um, affecting what their actual product was and what they put out into the world for the customer. It was about how what they rallied around as a company, what their North Star was then that they knew um, were differentiating for them. And so it was a really good exercise for them to crystallize that and to reshape that. I, I totally agree because I didn't know that this um, experience map or, or customer journey thing existed. I just knew that when I was working with a client, a builder in Canberra in Australia, that they they weren't all on the same page. So we did exactly what right. we said. We had butcher's paper. We had everyone there. And we pretty much just did from the first um, interaction to the last. And one of the things that I was thinking was to try and pull that value proposition together to confirm right. it, but to internalise the brand as well, you know, what they actually felt and what they actually wanted to deliver. But one of the outcomes was a lot of them didn't ever see the whole process. They never actually right. really knew what happened after they did their bit. They had some sense, but they actually didn't know. And the feedback that I got, especially from new people, is, well, at least I understand what we do, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is kind of interesting. And the CEO basically said to me, and this is what I wanted to get your opinion on, Dan, you know, that was fantastic and we identified some pain points and some opportunities and, and we can move right. forward, which is great. And we understand that our value proposition is right, that we actually can hold the customer's hand through this journey and we can mm -hmm. do it better than today. But I think we need to do this again and again and again. And so, so you know, not just do it once. He wants to do it every year, which is fantastic. But the other thing that I was, and I want to ask you about repeating it, but the other thing was, is it important that the customer actually is ever part of that mapping? Uh, so two things there. First is uh, ideally, and it doesn't always happen, and, and for example, when we do it as a consultant, we, we, we only go so far the way and we try to advocate it, that this is a living document. That there, that, and, and it's very common to create uh, an experience map of the current state and then create some sort of customer journey of the ideal future state. And then of, you know, knowing you can't get to that future state overnight, that's why you might do the road mapping and you might plan out what are, what are the stages you're able to improve uh, over, say, first six months and the next six months or nine months or whatever your intervals. And it gets to be, especially for large enterprises, that, you know, these are big endeavors where, you know, turning a giant ship around and so it, it takes a while um but ideally then they're living documents that get revisited twice a year every quarter whatever that is and i do think that's a, that's an important point to make um and then uh with regards to the customers i absolutely do think so it's not something i've done a lot but i actually contributed a sidebar uh to a friend's book on facilitation and kind of uh, working with people in a, in a, in a user research standpoint. And we've been talking about how, how um, customer experience maps in a structured way could be really great sort of um, 
hybrid uh, focus group workshop types of activities. I mean, focus groups often kind of have a, a bad rap. Uh, I think, you know, going back to how they were in a kind of open-ended way, but now they're often very participatory, creative, structured um, activities. And I think an experience map where you have six, seven people in a focus group, uh, <coughs> you're trying to get information about, like, you know, insight into how their journey with this product might have been, how their experience was using this product or this service, is a great participatory way for them to collaboratively sort of create the journey for you. So obviously you can do lots of qualitative and quantitative research, mm-hmm. synthesize that, and, and as a team, create an experience map. But kind of creating these like proto experience maps with like two or three focus groups where they're in a structured way are helping communicate what the journey is or what it should look like, I think is a, is a really great and useful activity. And it's only something I've, I've done a little bit of, but I think, uh, you know, as whereas traditionally I would do the research with the, with the you know, with the, those end users or those customers and then kind of take it back. And as a team, we'd do it. I think it's a really useful activity to get them to tell their stories that literally can start to construct your uh, experience map from that. So having them involved in that process, I think is definitely something that we'll probably see more of, or at least the direction that customer journey maps might go, where it's not just something the designers do, it's something the designers involve in a participatory way, participatory way mm-hmm. the customer is doing. Yeah, because it's sort of still an assumption otherwise, and it'd be kind right. of nice to just validate it. Or, I don't know, I just think customers know what they want sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, but, yeah um, I think it's a really good point. It's um, Yeah, it's just something I've been thinking about because this is all new to me, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I should have the customer in this room as well. Or maybe we should show them the map and they should say, well, in actual fact, don't do that there, you know, or yeah. whatever. So. When we did, um, to, not to, to cut off your question, but just to follow through on the thought, when we did the Rail Europe thing as that example, what we did in our qualitative research was um, we had to do remote interviews. We couldn't do in-person interviews, but we used screen sharing with the participants, and it was like, uh, I think, eight participants, maybe ten. And we start, we, it was similar to the focus group, I was, I was but it was in a one-on-one sense is that we started to construct the journey. Like when we, the reason we had screen sharing is that we were taking bits that they were saying, uh, transcribing them down into like sort of like, I mean, it was visually on, on a page, but cards that we were sort of stacking or lining up in different ways. And so we were starting to create a bit of a journey model from, from his or her quotes, the, the, the research participants quotes. And so in that way we were, we were starting to, uh, record and craft the journey based on on what they were describing through their experience that way. And so it is just being more cognizant of a few key factors when you're doing some type of contextual inquiry or or, or uh, user research interviews. And you want to you know understand the the time and the place and then the context around any given touch point of what they were thinking and feeling and doing, what might have been involved, like the phone channel or the mobile channel. But you can then start to c- create individual um, journey maps. And then you still have something to synthesize if you have eight or ten of those uh, to do that and look at the commonalities, just like you would in a, in a persona. I mean, it's a similar type of process where you're looking at the commonalities to create an archetype journey. And so, so yes, the, the focus group, I think, is, is one way. But, but even when we were doing our sort of one-on-one qualitative research, we were sort of having them involved in the process by having them create those journey maps for themselves as well. Mm. So it seems 
to me, this whole area of service design is sort of evolving. I don't know if it's it seen, you know, from what I've read, it's multidisciplinarian, you know, you can come from different areas. What do you right. see happening at the moment, just in that whole uh, field? I, I would agree with that. I mean, service design has been around for a while. Um, and a lot of in the in the public space and and some traditional services like healthcare, um, I think technology has provided a catalyst for service design to get adopted and integrated on a more wide design wider design level. I think the fact and particularly mobile, but um, the fact that you know a retail store used to have a retail store and maybe they had a call center, but now they have websites and mobile sites and a call center. And every one of those forms uh, a person's impression of that company, whereas they might have thought like, oh, here's our thing, and our thing might be our, our, our big box store. And then we have these supporting things that might get some attention, might not, And but the really key thing is that store. And now it's not, no, any given touch point, whatever channel that is in, whether it's a store or it's a mobile phone, is forming their overall experience. And I think that I think that customer experience, uh, I think on, on that kind of retail standpoint, customer experience has started to think in a service design mentality. And then obviously a lot of traditional services that maybe should have service design uh, methodologies or thinking applied to them are realizing they need that because of the, the, the introduction of, of those multiple channels now. Um, so I think that's really what's happening. I mean, I see uh, service design on the one side from service design, it's become uh, part of the conversation because of, of the, the adoption. And then on the kind of the digital product design side, things that look like products are now looking more like services and you need a new set of methodology. And that includes the, the journey mapping, it includes things like service blueprints, um, something called ecosystem mapping, where you're not really mapping the journey yet, but you're just trying to get a discovery of like what's involved, like wh- wh- what people are involved, what places are involved. And so I think there is sort of this, this uh, integrating of the lines are getting blurred between things that might be user experience design, might be marketing, might be service design, mm-hmm. uh, because we're sort of swapping methodologies because we're realizing that that uh, the customer or the end user isn't thinking in terms of marketing or a service or a product. They're thinking in terms of this overall experience and, and they're influenced by the marketing. They're influenced by the way the sort of analog connected touch points are and they're influenced by the technology that also might support that and so so I do think it's an interesting time where there's a lot of things being formed because we're all of a sudden realizing you said it already I think the key word is that, that it's going to be a cross-disciplinary approach to, to understanding that mm. uh, I think that's what's going to be key I know but it's also really exciting because you yeah know, this collaboration that perhaps hasn't happened before I guess the only thing that I'm thinking is when it's in a larger company, that facilitation of that process could be tricky with the volumes of people involved, you know, because there's personalities and agendas. And I suppose that's why if you've got the customer at the centre, I guess that should sort of um, resonate with everyone or get them on the same sort of plane. Yeah, you, you you hope that what this does is, is as a conversation item is get everyone on the same page, looking at that same north star. To, so that helps, like if there are those sort of differences or kind of agendas. If you have something that people buy into the idea that they can refer to that, then that sort of should settle it. You know, that that should be. It. It's hard, and I don't imply that just doing uh, an experience map kind of solves some of those greater issues of. 
of how those silos are and, and how the organization embraces the idea of the customer being at the center of those of, of the experience of that you're designing for or creating uh, to support. Um, but hopefully, if you get that buy-in and you evangelize that idea, you have something that helps settle some of those, you know, conflicting differences. Like, well, yeah, but what we know is this is our, you know, we're, we're looking to support this. So what's the best way to support this? And, and uh, that ideally that helps. But it's not, a, it's not a magic pill, obviously, but uh, hopefully it's something that creates around which conversations can be created for a shared understanding. Because in my mind, I guess I'm thinking about companies that naturally have a culture of um, community, you know, they like one another, they, you know, they get along, um, they're, they're, they're fans of the company before they start, employees are advocates before they start, as opposed right. to somebody sending down an agenda, we need to be more customer-centric, let's do this customer mapping, but right. we don't really, you know, it's just something that we have to do, and I just wonder how much the culture that you walk into um, dictates how that process, whether it's just lip service or, or whether actually it is embraced because they truly believe this yeah. is the, how much that adoption needs to happen at the top to actually make that flow down. Yeah, I mean, again, it's that top down versus bottom up. Um, we've seen it's it's a it's a harder slog when we have people fight kind of in a sense fighting the good fight and who have somehow maybe carved out some budget at that sort of middle level boots on the ground level such as like middle managers product managers project managers to do something like this their main goal often isn't necessary to get immediate effects on their product or service is to champion something that they can start to take up throughout the organization so that that they can get some type of buy-in at a higher level um, it happens much quicker when an organization does have a, a more top-down mandate. So they might have, and especially if they create, and you see this a lot when uh, a lot of retailers, um, you know, uh, from uh, retailers now creating uh, customer experience groups, groups that are essentially channel agnostic that are meant to make all that work together seamlessly. Some of them have been created, but don't necessarily have them and, and have a certain mandate, but they don't haven't necessarily been empowered to influence the rest of the organization. And those have a harder, you know, they're kind of in a sense, they've been created to create this lip service towards uh, a more unified experience for the customer and not and breaking down some of those silos. But they can do some stuff. They can produce some artifacts like customer experience maps um, and get those circulated around. But they don't have the uh, necessarily the power to make them actionable. Where you see some success is where these customer experience groups, and they might be called different things in different organizations, but these customer experience groups actually have a not just a mandate but are empowered to be a catalyst where they can actually affect change within the organization. They they are a bit more umbrella or uh, in in their nature where where they can then influence the different groups or different silos um, and have, in a sense, the authority to do so, although you don't want to think of it in that sense. So ideally, organizations have a, a better set of systems in place that doesn't make it feel like a, an authority or a dictating. But they, they are actually enabled to take those things that they're doing, service blueprints, uh, customer journey maps, any kind of customer insights, and make them actionable uh, that will affect the, the organization. And so it is hard. It is hard, uh, I think, and the larger the organization and the more complicated the organization, uh, the harder it, it, and longer it takes. So what's got you excited at the moment? What are you working on or, or reading or what's your world look like? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my, my passion area is, is, is around kind of a new 
the, the, the new proliferation of a lot of uh, services that are specifically designed around uh, our behaviors and usually trying to get positive outcomes. And I think those services are, are I think, an interesting one to sort of map and, and think about how they're promoted and marketed to people. And, and that's a, the, the shortcut sort of term for that is, is behavior design or designing for behavior change. And it existed forever, the idea of like smoking cessation programs or weight loss programs. But again, similar to how service design has become relevant, a lot of these things empowered by technology, empowered by like the ubiquity of sensors and, and, and mobility, all of a sudden anything that can be connected will be connected. Like you can buy a basketball now with a sensor in it so you can measure the intensity of your dribble and, and, and your technique. Uh, we see that with the obvious examples around things like um, financial applications that allow you to link your bank accounts and set goals and manage your debt. Uh, uh, Nike and other things that allow you to track your exercise activities. We have uh, Fitbits and, and bracelets now that kind of keep everything from your perspiration to, to uh, uh, you know, your heart rate and all that stuff. And there's this whole slew of behaviors that, you know, we've gone from, you know, things that are managing ourselves to, or managing our stuff, like my email and my music and, and my photos, to, to managing me and my behaviors. And I think that's a thing that um, has been evolving over the past two or three years and is something that's really interesting me and how new products and services are marketed around the idea of what I call um, behavior change as value proposition. You know, the, the, the value proposition isn't something that you're going to get. The value you receive is, is, is the uh, change in your behaviors and the positive outcomes from that. And I think that's been a really interesting space to track. No, oh, it sounds fantastic. And I, I agree. I think that's the, the crux of it. But, yeah. um, so when are you um, likely to write a book, Chris? Because we need this stuff. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I have a, a proposal together, and I'm, I'm uh, talking to a couple publishers uh, about that. And so uh, my goal, book, book publishing can be a bit of an arduous process. And so unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to say that something could happen in two months where there's a book out. But uh, my goal would be maybe at the end of this year, or the first thing in 2014, that there might be something out there. I, it is something I'm working on, and, I, and I, I get that question asked a lot, and I'm very appreciative that there seems to be uh, some support for something like that. Yeah, well, look, I really appreciate your viewpoint and um, all your slide shares and all your information. I'll, I'll put some links on this podcast because um, you, you're a great thought leader in the space and um, it really resonated with me and I, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, appreciate the kind words and it's been uh, fun to chat about. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.